third chapter of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 18, Moses said, And then I commanded you to go and take possession of the land that God has given you. But first, every able-bodied man armed for battle must, of yours must cross over before the Israelites. However, your wives, your children, and your livestock, for I know you have much livestock, may remain in the towns that I and the Lord your God have given them until the Lord gives all your people rest the way that he has given you rest and that they have taken possession of the land the Lord your God has given them across the Jordan. Then each of you may return to your possession and take it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. About four and a half years ago, uh, Pastor Dinah and I were part of a group of people that went to uh, West Africa, to Ghana, uh, Liberia, and Nigeria. And the plane uh, ran into trouble. We were very late getting into the capital city, the airport at Accra in Ghana. And as we came in close to midnight, our leader said, now this airport, there will be all sorts of people will be hounding you, trying to sell you things, uh, get things from you, get money from you. She said, look, just walk straight and go to the van that we have for you and get on the van. So I got right behind the leader and I made my way through the crowd of Africans in the airport and made my way through a crowd in the parking lot to get to my seat on the van. And then I looked around and realized something was missing. I didn't see Dinah. So the door of the van was still open. So I looked out and there was Dinah surrounded by about 30 people trying to get her to give them money and trying to sell her things and and reaching for her. And so I yelled, Dinah, get on the van. And so at which point when they hear that, they all start screaming at her, Dinah, Dinah, Dinah. Last year... I went back to Africa again, Africa again, and Dinah did not go with me. <laughs> Is it any surprise? Well, I've learned some things. Uh, on our last trip, about four of us went. And one of the things we said is that no one was going to be left behind, whether it be at passport control or at luggage or wherever we would be. Everyone would wait and walk with everyone else. I was learning. I think this is the kind of lesson that Moses wanted the people to learn. What had happened is the people had won a great battle over King Og of Bashan. And they had started to take some of their territory on this side of the Jordan, opposite the promised land, as their own and began to settle in it. And Moses said, you know, that's fine. But first, you're going to have to lead the way in battle, cross over the Jordan in front of all the other Israelites, until they get to take all the land that God has for them, then you can come back to your town where your wives, children, and livestock are. I thought about this lesson Moses is teaching, and it seems to me he's trying to, in the early days of the people, establish at least three things among them that occur to me. The first one is this. He's trying to establish in them a sense of priority. And the first priority may seem subtle, but I think it's significant. He says, however... Your wives, children, and livestock may remain in the town. Notice the order. Starts with spouse, moves to children, then moves to economic well-being, which is what the livestock insured. And I thought about over the years as a pastor, as a man, I've watched me and other men switch the other order, and we kind of go livestock, wives, children. 
and sort of make it our aim to succeed as mightily as we can in the economic side in our job. And that sort of takes precedence over the spouse and children. And I've been around enough long time as a pastor to watch what happens to a number of women who seem to do a different kind of order. And they do children, spouse, livestock. And they switch the order as well and prioritize the children over the spouse. This is a subtle thing, but it, be, it can have, it can shake the foundations of the family. If uh, all the man's energy is devoted toward work and not toward the family, or a woman's energy for that matter, uh, that shakes the foundation. If the children do not know that the parents love each other even more and above the love that they have for the children, they don't have the security in which to grow up knowing that love is always going to be there and support them. And that can be difficult for the foundations of the family. What is interesting is I think suddenly Moses sets a pretty good priority order uh, for us as we live with one another. But then this is what he does to that. He sets that aside and now puts on top of it another greater priority. More important than your spouse. More important than your children. More important than your economic well-being and your job is the welfare of the community. He says you can leave them there. But you are armed for battle, going to lead us across to the other side to take the land that God has for us. The community takes priority over the individual and the individual's family. Friends, you can just read the Bible. That's a biblical ethic. That is all the way through. That didn't get changed uh, until uh, the Western world came into being and decided that the human being was more important than anything else, including God. But the biblical order starts with that community under God. And notice the two and a half tribes that are mentioned as taking possession. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Here's what you need to know in their background. Reuben was the oldest of the 12 sons of Jacob, and the sons of Jacob make up the 12 tribes. So number one there is the oldest is a part of this Reuben. Gad is the seventh child. And then Manasseh isn't even one of the 12 children of Jacob. He's the first grandchild. He was the son of Joseph, uh, born in uh, Egypt when Joseph was under uh, second in command under Pharaoh. So here's what you've got. You've got number one, number seven, and number 13. And they are all moving for the good of the community and leading them. Number the first, the middle The last, they are all involved. No one is exempt from the welfare of the greater community. What we might say is all for one and one for all was one of the lessons Moses was teaching. That's the priority. Second priority is this. He noticed that there were some who had already received what God had for them. They'd already gotten their promised land. And he makes it a principle those who have are to lead the effort for those who do not have. That those who already have the rest that God has given them are responsible to try to help bring rest and the promised land to those who are not there yet. In other words, those of us who have been blessed are to be a blessing to others. Abraham, this was part of his call in chapter 12. Abraham, you'll be, a blessed, you'll be blessed, but you will be a blessing to the world. Jesus echoed this. He said, to whom much is given, much is expected. If you've come in to rest in an area in your life, you are then to lead the charge for those who do not have rest in that area of their life. 
then the third principle follows from that that I think Moses was teaching, and that's this, that there's no rest for anybody until there's rest for everybody. You do not get to enjoy the land I've given you until everyone gets to enjoy the land I have given them. Uh, Frederick Beekner and talks about learning uh, this lesson. Frederick Beekner is a Christian writer. You may have run, uh, read some of his work. Uh, a few years after college, he gets his first book contract. So he goes into the city, New York City, an office building, almost the top floor. And there he, um, he signs his contract and gets his first uh, check based on the book. As a, it's a down payment for, for all that it will, will sell. And he is feeling that finally his life dreams have been accomplished already. And he walks out of the office uh, on the top floor feeling very joyful. As he gets to the elevator, he notices a man and they lock eyes. The man is part of the janitorial service cleaning that floor. And he recognizes that man as a man a few years ago that he went to college with. And that they, he noted, had similar dreams and hopes of the impact that they might make in the world and the dreams that might be fulfilled. Now, there's nothing wrong with cleaning the building. It's It's very essential, but it's not what that man had dreamed of in college some years ago. And Beekner said, when I locked eyes with him and saw the difference in our situation, he said, suddenly I realized I wasn't as joyful. And he said, I think God whispered something to me that day that there is no joy for anybody until there is joy for everybody. There's a sense that we fully can't rest in what God has given us until others around us rest in what God has given them. This um, will be illustrated under Joshua in the book of Joshua. When they get on the verge of the promised land, they have to cross the river Jordan. And they cross at high tide. Uh, uh, Well, the river should be flood stage. It's flood stage. And you need to know this. uh, People of Israel can't swim. They don't take swimming lessons. And priests can't swim. They're carrying this heavy ark. And they're told... Jump in the middle of this fast-moving river. And I've watched the river carry our leader down uh, a few hundred yards before when he lost his footing in the Jordan River. I've seen that happen. Jump in that river. And then the river will part. And then Joshua says, and stay in the river till everybody gets across. There would be no rest for these carriers of the ark until there was rest for everybody. They could not leave the danger of the river until everyone had made it through the river. That's the principle that God wants through Moses and Joshua ingrained in the people. There is no rest for any of us until there's rest for all of us. A couple of years ago, I was on a um, trip in Turkey. A number of people in this church were on it. And we got to a very difficult mountain that we were to climb to overlook an ancient uh, civilization. And uh, when we got through with the climb and made it to the top, the leader said, I've been coming here for 15 years, so I've taken 50 or more groups. He said, you're only the second group where every single person made it to the top of this mountain. So we, and he said, and I knew you would. So we asked him, well, how did you know that? Because I was on the group, so I guarantee you it wasn't because we were all in great physical shape. And it wasn't because everyone was young. We said, how did you know that? And he said, because I've been watching you the first 10 days of this trip, and I notice how in every location, all of you wait until everybody gets to that location before anybody moves on. That you don't move forward until everyone is able to move forward with you. And he said, I knew that if one of you made it up the mountain, you wouldn't rest till every one of you 
made it up that mountain. That's the biblical witness, I think, from Moses, from Joshua. Wouldn't surprise me that if we look carefully, we'll find it in Jesus. So I just have two questions for you this morning. What is the promised land? What is the rest that people in your world are looking for? What is it that you think they're looking for? Rabbi Akiva, uh, almost a contemporary of Jesus, said this, that shalom, you know, which is peace and beauty and uh, joy, he said shalom is when everything works in harmony as God intends it. So I might ask you, where's the world out of harmony that you see it? And then I would ask you, where is it that you're willing to be on the front line? Where are you willing to go forward on behalf of those who don't have what you have? When you sit down this evening... And you have a roof over your head and a bed underneath your body. Will you be moved to join in our ministry through the haven of hope to the homeless? When you sit down for lunch today or dinner this evening, might you be moved instead to realize while you're eating enough and more than enough that there will be people tomorrow who do not have enough to eat? And will you take that grocery bag and fill it up so that those in need can have When you enjoy the fruits of friendship, will you, while you're resting in that friendship, think about those who are lonely and isolated? And might you move in their direction? When your children have made it through our school system, or maybe they're into college or out of college, will you think about the many children who are at risk and likely will drop out before 8th or ninth grade? And will you look for ways that you can mentor, help, teach them to read? Where is it that you found your rest that you'd be willing to help lead the charge to, be, to bring rest for others? It's what Moses would want. It's what Joshua would want. It's what Jesus would want. And if we look around us, we see people doing it all the time. Uh, a couple of years ago, I believe, uh, two people from our church, Bob and Nora Scott, and went with some students from Duke University Divinity School, I think including our own Stephanie Lind. And they went to um, Africa, went to Uganda, Africa. And they brought back a story that really impacted my life. The story is about a woman whose name is Angelina. Uh, they, they call her Mother Angelina because she's a midwife in her village in Uganda. And she has successfully uh, brought hundreds of children in the village into this world. She enjoyed a rest of her own. She had six children. They were all healthy. One of her children, Charlotte, 14 years old, was in the uh, St. Mary's Catholic School uh, boarding school for girls. Um, some rebels from the Lord's Resistance Army, the LRA, which as far as I can tell has nothing to do with the Lord, uh, came and swept down upon that school and took all 139 girls captive. They're going to take them and have them be wives for the soldiers and the commanders. Well, petite but strong sister Rachel, running the school, went after these rebels into the jungle and confronted them. And the rebel leader at that time wrote on a piece of paper three numbers, 109, and said basically, I'll give you 109 girls back. So 109 made it back with sister Rachel. But the next day, she had to go to Mother Angelina's house and tell her that her daughter, Charlotte, was not one of them. Uh, The grief uh, 
took Mother Angelina to the floor. But she rallied in the Lord, and they began to pray and worship, pray for the return of these 30 girls. And, uh, and they organized uh, to, to bring uh, the plight of uh, these girls and other children who have been captured and forced to fight in, in the child's army in Uganda uh, to the awareness of the world. And as they met to pray and worship, the priest is leading them, and he's leading them in the Lord's Prayer. And they're praying, forgive us our sins, and then all the mothers stop dead. They don't pray the next part as we forgive. They realized they couldn't forgive. Those people who had taken their children. Well, Mother Angelina decides that's not right. That's not what God wants. And so she begins to work and pray. They begin to work and pray to forgive these captors of their children. She goes to a neighboring village where she knows the commander of the LRA's mother lives. And she tells the mother, I know you're not responsible. I want you to know that I forgive you. And I forgive your son for what he's done. People in the village tell her that she's from another planet. What are you doing? They want to know. And she continues to preach forgiveness. She continues to organize. And soon the plight of these children uh, comes to the uh, comes to light in front of the UN. And she appears in 2002 before the UN Security Council uh, speaking about the plight of children who've been abducted and forced as soldiers or as slaves into this army. Well, the heat's starting to get to the LRA leader, so he doesn't like it. So he arranges a meeting with Mother Angelina and basically says, you lay off, I'll give you your daughter back. Thirty girls still in captivity, but you lay off. You may have your daughter Charlotte back. And she says to the rebel leader, no deal. There are 30 children in captivity. And she continues to pray. And as she continues to pray, uh, the, the plight becomes more and more known. And after seven years of Charlotte, and the rumor is, it turns out to be true, that Charlotte has two children uh, uh, by this commander, a uh, five-year-old uh, and a two-year-old. She says, God, this is the seventh year. And in the scripture, you say that the seventh year is when they go free. It's, it's, it's that jubilee year. So she calls on the Lord for that. Sure enough. Charlotte escapes with her two-year-old. Her five-year-old, who thinks he has no mother and sister, thinks he's all alone in the world now, is found in a nearby refugee camp. And they are reunited. And Angelina has her daughter. And her daughter has her children. But they don't rest. They continue even to this day. I think, Nora, was it two years ago? year and a half? They're in New York before the U.N. again. I don't know about you, but if they had said, you can have your son back, just lay off, I might have said, sounds good to me. But Moses knows better. Joshua knows better. Jesus knows better. Angelina and Charlotte know better. There's no rest for any of us until there's rest for all of us.